Let's begin with a word of prayer. Visit, O Lord, the homes in which your people dwell, and keep all harm and danger far from them. Grant that we may dwell together in peace under the protection of your holy angels, sharing eternally in your blessings through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, so um, we're going to finish up marriage tonight, and as I was writing my own outline for teaching, it kind of turned into a um, more full outline, so I thought I'd just make a handout instead of writing on the board tonight, switch things up a little bit. Um, So you have in front of you a a handout, and we'll find a way to get this on the video uh, as well, either as like a document or um, Steve puts in the video. I don't know. Steve's Steve's in charge. So... Um, But the question we want to ask tonight as kind of our last thing for marriage is uh, who regulates marriage? I still got to hold a marker, even though I'm not going to write on the board. This is I just grabbed it. (laughs) Uh, Who regulates marriage, church or state? And this is actually a a pretty it sounds kind of maybe like a theological hair splitting question, but it's actually a pretty important question in our day and age with all the LGBTQ stuff going on and what um, we're going to do about marriages in the church. Uh, what, what, how are we going to take care of marriages in the church and marriage in the church? So uh, what role does the state, the government have in marriage and what role does the church have in marriage? And uh, I was going to also talk more about kind of issues that come up in marriage, uh, like divorce and uh, cohabitation and fertility issues and all sorts of things. But we've actually kind of covered all of that through the last many weeks, five, four or five weeks that we've been doing this. So I'm really not going to go much deeper into any of those things because I think we've kind of covered them all. So really, this is kind of what I want to end on, and then we'll move into uh, the difference between men and women and the role of women in the church, uh, which we've kind of already been touching on in marriage, of course. And we'll start off with that documentary on the history of feminism uh, next week. So that's coming up. Uh, Tell all your friends and family that we're having a movie next week. Uh, Maybe we can get some more people out for this. uh, And we'll we'll do a a showing of that documentary. So it's only an hour long, so it won't be any, the class won't be any longer than than normal, and then um, we'll talk about it once I come back from vacation. So that's kind of how we'll do that. Uh, the way I've, I've arranged this outline is uh, basically we're going to start out with a review of church and state, which we talked about a while back, a couple months ago. Um, but then it's kind of questions and answers is the way I arranged it. So maybe that'll be helpful to you. Maybe it won't. Let me know if you like it or if you don't. Um, but this is kind of catechism format, if you will. If, if you go through the catechism, uh, right, it's questions and answers. Uh, Luther will propose a hypothet- kind of a, a question, and then, and then he'll give the answer. And um, that's kind of what I've done in the outline here for us to kind of talk about. Um, I don't know. I was just feeling creative, I guess, uh, when I put this together. So, um, all right, let's start out with the review of the, the church and state. So if you remember from when we did church and state, the, Luth- the Lutheran view of church and state has this, what we call theology of the two kingdoms, theology of the two kingdoms. And this is a way to talk about, you could just say church and state, but this is kind of a way to visualize what the relationship of church and state are, is that 
there's two kingdoms and they're the two hands, the right hand and the left hand, the right hand and the left hand. And both of who, whose hands are they? You remember God's. They're God's hands, right? The right hand, God's right hand kingdom and God's left hand kingdom. And the left hand kingdom is the kingdom of the state, right? This is the government or the kind of the the civil realm. And uh, it is still God's kingdom, right? This is the bit maybe the biggest mistake that people make when they think about the phrase like separation of church and state, or they think about um, the government and and the church or the state and the church is that the state has nothing to do with God whatsoever. Um, and that's simply not true. And why is that not true? Because God created everything, right? And God is in charge of everything. God sustains everything. And so uh, the even the state, even the government, that belongs to God. And you can even think, at, when we think eschatologically, that is, we think toward the end time, what's going to happen? Psalm 2, uh, God is going to establish the new heavens and new earth, and that is going to include what we think of as a government, but who's going to be the king of the government? Jesus. Jesus. Right, he's going to be sitting on his throne, and all kings are going to bow down before him, right? Um, That he will put every earthly kingdom under his footstool. And so uh, this is in the view of God's kingdom to be a kind of governmental uh, kingdom from the very beginning. Um, and of course it was that way before the fall and the sin is that the two kingdoms are completely unified, right? The civil realm and the church realm, it's all, it's all one, right? It's all governed by God's word. There's no, there's no distinction. Um, and especially, you know, when you like read Matthew's gospel, the, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the heavens coming and Jesus coming to, by his incarnation, death, and resurrection, inaugurate the kingdom of heaven on this earth is a major theme in the scriptures. That God's kingdom has been established and it's, and it's expanding. And uh, one day when Jesus comes back again, it will be the only kingdom. Right? Okay. So anyhow, uh, both kingdoms are God's kingdoms. And um, however, on this side of heaven, before Jesus comes back again, uh, the the left hand kingdom, the kingdom of the state, the civil realm, is governed by rule of law, right? I can't uh, stand in that pulpit and tell uh, unbelievers to change their way, and that the, and they would just listen to me, right? It has to be governed by rule of law, which really means this is you know Romans 13 when Paul says the government doesn't bear the sword in vain. It's who has the sword. Right? Who who is able to actually? This is why we have a thing called law enforcement. Who's what is going to make unbelievers uh, do the right thing? It's going to be the enforcement of a law um, by ultimately by physical force if necessary. Right? Um, oftentimes, you know, the threat of jail or uh, you know. What, what, what have you, the, the general court system, the general justice system is enough, but uh, it's ultimately going to come down to, to enforcement of the law. And uh, this is why it's also, uh, we live in this, our, so our, I would say we live in a time where our left-hand kingdom is pretty messed up uh, in a lot of ways, which is honestly not that historically irregular. Um, left-hand kingdoms are often, 
the left-hand kingdom in a place and time is often kind of messed up because of sin. One of the things that's kind of messed up about our civil realm currently is that we have a lot of laws that are not enforced, uh, which kind of gives it a lack of credibility in my opinion. When you when you have you say, oh, here's all these, you know, we have like so many laws on the books, um, from tax codes to to street to to road, rules of the road. What's that? Blue laws. Yeah, blue laws. We got we got all sorts of kind of laws, but how many of them are actually enforced, and how many uh, things do people actually take seriously, you know? And that so. In a, I think in an ideal kind of left-hand kingdom civil realm society, you would have just laws that are actually enforced. Um, yeah. In high school, when we took ancient history, one of the things the teachers stressed on us was that in the Middle East, there is no second offenders. Right. Because they cut your hands off or they end your life. Right. So everybody knows. Right. Yeah. What happens happens. So right. Never any yeah. I mean, it makes it makes sense. We and we have this whole idea of like reform, uh, where basically we're going to try and psychologize people out of committing crime, which that's not the purpose of law enforcement, right, or the justice system. The purpose is to to punish wickedness. Um, all right. So anyway, yeah, that that's kind of a aside, but. Um, yeah, so then what's the purpose of that government is two, I think ultimately two things that come up over and over again in the scriptures uh, when like Paul talks about this in Romans 13 or, or what have you is the, the preservation of peace that we could live in a society where it's not chaotic, it's not anarchy, right? Christians can't be anarchists. And two, the punishing of wickedness, right? Which serves the preservation of peace. Because the punishing of wickedness, like we were just saying, uh, it that's the what we'd call the curbing use of the law, right? It acts as a curb where people are afraid to, they're not going to hit the curb. Like yesterday I was parking at a friend's house and pulled up too close to the curb and scratched up my tire, you know. Uh, we don't want to do that, so you uh, stay away from the where the curb of the law is. Um so preservation of peace and punishment of wickedness. And then uh, the, this is the, the other aspect about the left-hand kingdom is that this is the realm of unbelievers. So this is kind of, if you think about these kingdoms as where people live, this is where unbelievers live, right? This is the only kind of uh, authority that they know is the, the authority of the government. Um, now, believers submit to it, right? We pay our taxes. We render what is Caesar's to Caesar. We pay our taxes. Uh, we follow the laws um, to the best of our ability insofar as they're just laws. And um, and uh, we do that because we want peace, right? And we, especially as Christians, we want a society where the gospel can have free course, right? And um, this is one of the reasons God institutes the government is that the church can exist in a good, ordered society, um, and the gospel can be proclaimed. All right, uh, the right-hand kingdom is the kingdom of the church and also belongs to God. Uh, 
right? Obviously, the church is God's kingdom. Um, people don't tend to get that one mixed, so mixed up. Um, the government is not by force of law and law enforcement. The government is by God's word, right? Which includes laws, right? So uh, in the church, you can't have um, unrepentant sin rampant in the church, right? That's why there's church discipline. So there's there's laws uh, for such things. Um, if you have disunity in a congregation, that has to be taken care of um, in a certain way. So there there are laws about the church. Um, there there are for for pastors, right? There are qualifications. We've talked about that before. Um, so there are laws, but that is based on God's word. And then there are also promises and, and gospel, right? There's, there's forgiveness. And uh, part of the government of the church is that we forgive one another and reconcile with one another. So uh, it's governed not by just the force of law, but it's governed by God's word in its entirety, right? The law and the gospel. And um, what is this for? It's not just for the sake of peace or for the sake of punishing the wicked. It is for the sake of the expansion of God's kingdom. It's for the sake of the gospel. Uh, this is why God has established his, his church on earth, for repentance and faith and for uh, giving his gifts and for the mission of the, the entire gospel. It's everything, right? Um, and then this is uh, finally contrary to the left-hand kingdom where only un- uh, where b- unbelievers live with believers submitting to it. Uh, only believers here, right? Unbelievers, again, do not recognize the authority of the church. Unbelievers, you can't reason with according to God's word. You can't, you know, if an unbeliever uh, says that, well, to take a marriage issue, if an unbeliever says, well, I want to live with my girlfriend before we get married, um, I can't say, well, that is actually the sin of concubinage according to God's word, and you should stop, and then they'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm convinced, right? Uh, that won't work. So um, we – but if there's a true Christian who believes God's word and says, hey, I'm tempted to live with my girlfriend before marriage, uh, you know, I'm – I don't know what to do about this. And as their pastor, I say, well, that's actually the sin of concubinage, according to God's word. And, um, you know, this is why you should not do it. And this is what we should do in order to get you married. Um, Then they'd be like, "Okay." I mean, a true Christian would right? someone who's a repentant sinner. Um, So uh, the believers do recognize the authority. Right. Um, and I don't need a sword to do that, right? I don't need to force someone uh, to, to believe God's word. They believe it by faith. All right. So the reason that we're covering all this is because with marriage um, – so that's kind of a review. We've, done, we've talked about that before. But with marriage, marriage is this issue where historically, traditionally, both the state and the church have had – some kind of regulation involved in marriage. Uh, and primarily, historically, the state has regulated marriage um, as far as who's truly married and 
who's not, right? Who's the, like, how does a divorce happen? Who's divorced? How, who's married? Uh, who's single? That has all been regulated by the state, right? The, to get, you know, like truly married, you have to get a marriage certificate, right, from the courthouse. That's uh, traditionally how marriage has been in most cultures throughout history is that it's been regulated one way or another by the state. Um, and then, but also marriage has been performed, the right of marriage has traditionally been performed by clergy in the church. Um, and the church gets to say what the right is, right, for marriage, uh, the right being the, the ceremony, right, the um, R-I-T-E, right, like uh, the, the form of the service. Uh, the church is the one who writes the vows, or has traditionally written the vows for the marriage, right? So these kinds of things. The church also has some say in the regulation. Um, and so what is that balance of those two things? And especially uh, with L- – so I have this kind of made-up quote here. With LGBTQ plus marriages, there are some Christians who want to say, well, whatever the state laws are don't matter. Let's just, recog- let's just not recognize state marriages – and only recognize church marriages. And if people still want to get married by the courthouse authority, that's fine too. But let's just keep it completely separate now. Because uh, we don't want to be involved in any of this LGBTQ stuff. Uh, marriage is defiled in the state, in the realm of the civil realm. And uh, let's just kind of do our own thing. Now, uh, first of all, I I apologize for the run-on sentence. I, I did not proofread this, by the way, at all. I just I just uh, typed it, and I, I never proofread it. So, um, but that's that's an idea that I've heard. You know, even Lutheran pastors kind of float around out there. That what do we what do we do about this? Yes, Steve. Yeah, uh, so there is, on the front steps of the church, yeah, yeah, so um, that that's interesting for two, two reasons. Uh, one is the reason that we're talking about here, which is that Luther was, by doing that, confessing that the, while he's kind of, acting as a uh, clergy person of the state to perform the marriage, this is really a matter of the state, not of the church. And that this isn't even something that, uh, in his mind, would always belong in a sanctuary setting, um, just to, to show that it's for the state. And we're going to get to all the reasons why the state should or want to be involved in marriage and why it's kind of a state thing. The second reason that's interesting, uh, which I, I really like, and if I would have known about it more and thought about it more before I personally got married, this might have been something we would have done, but uh, marriage has turned into, this is a tangent, this is an aside to what we're talking about. Marriage has turned into a very kind of, especially the, the ceremony, Right, the um, and that with the reception and everything, it's turned into this big show, right? 
And historically, especially when you go, you know, further back than like 100 years, marriage has not, like a marriage ceremony has not been this massive reception, uh, you know, massive uh, ceremony and reception where you got to get the biggest church or you got to do it outside at a special place or uh, you got to, and you got to uh, write your own vows and you do the, um, get a big reception hall and, you know, everyone has to have an open bar and, and all these things. Uh, and it really hasn't traditionally been that. It, it's been a lot more modest in some ways. And what's interesting is Christians, I don't know, I, I haven't done a lot of research to how often this was done, but I know it happened with Luther's Day, and I actually have a couple friends from seminary who did this, that instead of doing a Saturday m- marriage, they would um, just do the marriage right at the beginning of a Sunday morning divine service and then finish the church service together as a married couple and then go on their honeymoon, right? Uh, which is kind of nice in the sense that it's a recognition that, look, this isn't all about us, right? And this is something I've said before, is that marriage is something you marry into, right? It's an institution that God created long ago before the fall into sin, built into creation. And it's basically the normal way that humans have lived with one another. And so... Uh, a Christian marriage should exist uh, to, well, all the things that we've talked about for what God intends for marriage. It should in- exist for God's blessings. It should exist for God's glory. It should exist for the procreation of children. It should exist uh, for, I can't remember all the things we said about what God intends for marriage. Uh, but it should exist for all these uh, things. One of if you notice, none of the things on the list of what God intends for marriage is uh, so that everyone will recognize how great my romance is and will give me a lot of gifts. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's not that's not what marriage is for, right? Now that's nice, and like we do want to rejoice with people when they're married. That's good. That's right. Uh, it's salutary to give to give gifts and to rejoice with people when they've uh, found someone to be married to, but that's not the end-all be-all, right? And so um, that's actually, uh, I think it's coming back into practice now, especially, it'll probably come even more and more into practice if inflation keeps going the way it has, uh, to just have a very simple marriage ceremony. Yes, Gary? Oh, during the service, the bells did? That's great. That's awesome. I should ask him about that. Yeah. That's what you were going to say? Yeah, that, so, okay, I, I, I don't know the history of how often or when that happened, when it was popular, but, um, yeah, I know people who have done it, and I know that it's not that uncommon that you would just get married as part of the church, normal Sunday church service. So um, it'd be kind of like a baptism, right? Like, it's a special service, like, and, you know, you'd have cake and punch afterwards, but it's not, and it is, like, a very important day. But it's also not this like show, right? So that that'd be the the idea. Anyway, that's an aside. Um, 
that uh, – yeah, anyway, that's an aside. All right. Um, yeah, so the, the issue of, of church and state then. Okay, so this, is, this starts my list of questions and answers. So first of all, does God give marriage only to believers? No, right? Uh, marriage is given to believers and unbelievers, and that's good, right? It's instituted from before the fall and the sin. It's given to all God's creation. Right? It's in, this is how the world keeps going on, is by marriage and procreation. Um, and and that, that's a good thing. Is one of the benefits of good marriages peace in society? Yes. Uh, we talked about this, that one of the blessings that comes with marriages, um, and notice I'm qualifying it good marriages, right? Because there is such a thing as bad marriages. Uh, peace in society, uh, yes, it creates peace. Um, first of all, just by being the way that God designed people to live. And uh, for example, right, as how that kind of plays out is that it protects, and this is probably one of the biggest things today, is that it protects and nurtures children by ensuring them one mother, one mother and one father. Um, if you look at, I know, I know I've brought this up before, if you look at crime rates, the most telling uh factor on if a zip code will have high crime rates is the rate of fatherlessness, right? The, the rate of fatherlessness is directly corollary to, to crime rates. Children who are nurtured by a, a, a what we'd call like a stable household, right? A, a good marriage, biblical marriage, one father, one mother, have the most, uh, basically to, not to sound too materialistic about it, but the most success in life, right? They, if they're Christians, the, these are the kids who are most likely to stay in church. Even if they're not Christians, these are the kids most likely to uh, not end up in crime and to end up with, with stable uh, jobs and to also end up um, being married and faithful in their marriages in, time, in times to come. Um, I'm, I, always, I, I, th- I literally thank God for this, that... There are – I've done a lot of genealogy research, and in both me and Rebecca's families – and I'm not, I'm not bragging. It's just – like I said, I thank God for this uh, because it's not, not true in a lot of households. But um, in neither of our families are there really any history of divorce or abandonment or adultery. I mean I don't know about adultery for sure, obviously, but um, there's uh, – not really none of our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, uh, as far as I can tell, were ever really divorced. Um, and that's kind of amazing. Um, and again, I thank God for it. But the reason I thank God for it is because that is a that, – that actually means something, right, to the way that people end up living their own lives. Uh, I think blood is powerful in that way. And when you get that example growing up of faithful marriage, faithful marriage, faithful marriage, then you, you really do learn from that, right, how to, how to continue to carry that out. So um, anyhow, right, it's, so it, it – it, this is one of the ways it gives peace in society, though, is that it uh, ensures children – a good marriage ensures children a father and a mother. All right. So, should Christians want good marriages for both believers and unbelievers? Well, yes, because we want to live in a society uh, where people 
generally live in accord with God's creation, natural law, and ideally his word, right? And this is the right-hand, left-hand kingdom thing again, is that the people in the right-hand kingdom want the left-hand kingdom to look like the right-hand kingdom as much as possible, right? We would like people, uh, we would uh, ideally like people in the civil realm, even unbelievers, to live like Christians, right? To be generous and to be kind and to be joyful and to uh, not, you know, go out and commit mass murder and, um, you know, all sorts of of other things, right? So ideally his word. Um, And we want to live in a society where that is peaceful, um, where the gospel has free course. So uh, marriage is obviously good for this. And also what's behind this question is that back to that idea of oh well maybe we should just kind of separate from the world well to me that's actually what you're saying is i don't care about my neighbor right i don't i don't care about my unbelieving neighbor i you know to hell with them right that's that's a bad attitude to have as a christian we i mean jesus says pray for your enemies right and we should um in that sense want what's best for our enemies which is to live according to God's word. So um, we can't just say, oh, to, to hell in a handbasket, like, screw them, right? We care about about them in this way. All right. Um, can Christians force biblical marriages on unbelievers? Uh, no, we can't, because, again, unbelievers aren't going to recognize the authority of God's word. I can't say, look, um, you know, I know you think polyamorous marriage is so cool and you want to have your three husbands and two wives but um but you know you're a you're a rotten sinner and you're going to go to hell and i think you need to stop that and then they you know the the one with purple hair would probably yell at me and tell me that i am uh, a hater and a bigot and they're not gonna listen to anything i have to say right or green hair you know that could be by accident. By accident. That sounds like a good story, you know. Well, unfortunately, twenty-somethings with purple hair have a reputation in our society now. So, um, it is it is the way it is. Uh, all right. Um, so, but the next question: Can the state enforce either biblical marriage or at least? Uh, marriage in accord with natural law. Uh, so fr- first of all, natural law. Natural law is simply a way of saying that God has revealed in creation the way things should work, right? So with the LGBT stuff specifically, um, that doesn't work according to God's creation, right? Uh, it does not produce children. Um, it does not produce households that do well uh, and live long according in the land to uh, live long in the land uh, it does not and in fact it causes mo- like more problems um, I don't want to get into all the nasty details of what uh, sexually deviant practices can cause in a person's life but let's just say this monogamous marriage is much physically healthier for people than other forms of sexuality that people would like to partake in so and paul is specific about this in romans one they receive in themselves the punishment due them 
So uh, that, that's, that's the idea of natural law, that in creation we can see things – we can see the basics of how society is supposed to function, right? We, in, built into creation, we can see that murder is bad. We can see that adultery is bad. We can see that um, these various things that should be true for all people, believer or unbeliever, um, are true. And what we should do is study God, God's creation and try and live according to that natural law. Um, and that should be our appeal to the, to the left-hand kingdom. Um, even if they're not going to listen to God's word, they should at least listen to reason and natural law. So that's, that's the idea of natural law. Okay. So can the state enforce marriage in accord with natural law? Yes, it can, right? This is the whole idea of the left-hand kingdom. This is the whole idea of the government is that the state has the ability to rule by force, to rule by rule of law. And uh, for example, there are two biblical reasons for divorce, adultery and abandonment. Um, and that used to be enforced in our laws, right, with, in the courts with, uh, before no-fault no divorce. So no fault divorce said you can get divorced for any reason. Before that, um, you had to show a reason why the divorce was morally acceptable. And so it is within the state's realm to the left-hand kingdom. I feel like I'm screaming now that the AC turned off. Uh, the left-hand kingdom to enforce morality, right? This is what the state always does, right? Uh, say, yeah, you can't just go and murder people, right? That's enforcing morality. Um, and we live in this kind of crazy world today where people are like, you can't tell me what morals to have. Well, yeah, the state can. I mean, that's that's why God instituted it, um, because at like at what point do we not have anarchy if if the state isn't going to enforce some set of morality? Right. And uh, my argument here is that marriage should be part of that set of morality. All right. Um, what about the right to privacy? And this is, again, kind of what I was saying, that we live in this world, crazy world today where everyone says, well, I can, you can't tell me what to do behind – what I do behind closed doors, so on and so forth, right? And this was the whole argument with Roe v. Wade and abortion is it's a right to privacy. It's a right to privacy. Well, uh, okay, what about the right for privacy? I'll just read my answer that I already wrote down. Just because something can uh, be done behind closed doors does not mean it shouldn't be regulated. So to protect people from their own and others' sinful passions and sin's consequences, many quote-unquote private things uh, are prohibited by the state. For example, pedophilia. So uh, we have um, – and you know what's interesting is the state keeps pushing the line on these things. And um, the, so the new thing right now – is to try and add pedophilia to the list of sexuality someone could have uh, to try and make pedophilia allowed, right? Um, so, like, the, yeah, when's it going to end? Uh, slippery slope is not, a, is not a fallacy. Slippery slope is a real thing, um, it seems. But, um, yeah, when is, when is bestiality going to be allowed, right? When is uh, – so these they keep trying to push these things and push these things, but um, – and we've talked about polyamory before as well. But, uh, so, but all these things, okay, quote-unquote, are like done behind closed doors. Well, we should the, – again, the state should have an interest in protecting people from 
the conse- their own sinful passions and, and the consequences of sin. Uh, because ultimately this does go to preserve the peace in society, right? Um, murder could be done in private, right? This was the whole abortion thing. Uh, but that doesn't make murder right. And it does actually ultimately affect other people and will down the line have consequences for the broader society. So just because something's behind closed doors doesn't mean that it can't uh, or shouldn't be regulated. Um, yeah, I mean, we should have such a thing as privacy for certain things, but uh, that doesn't make something moral or immoral. That's not the end-all, be-all. Okay. Any, any questions or comments so far? So we're going through this, Steve. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of laws that are on the books that just don't enforce. You know, like, like sodomy is still on the books in many states. Right. But doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, that that's more of a kind of a political science question, but um, with Obergefell and the Supreme Court, it overruled a, a lot of the sodomy laws in states. Um, that are excellent. So it's actually a similar situation to Roe v. Wade where you have laws on the books in states that were overturned by Roe v. Wade but were never overturned on the state level. And so if Obergefell ever gets overturned, you could have um, homosexuality prohibited in, in certain states. So uh, – and that, and that would be a good thing from a Christian perspective, right? We don't want these people to – harm themselves and to, and to hurt their uh, themselves. And this is, it's kind of weird um, where different Christians have drawn the line in different places where you have uh, for, for some reason, like some Christians will be like pro-life. So they'll be like, yeah, abortion, that should be outlawed. But, you know, if sodomy, like if people want to do that behind closed doors, that's that's fine. Like, let them do whatever they want to do. Um, and I just don't, from a Christian perspective, I don't understand that. Again, like, we have God's revealed word. We have his clear law in the Holy Scriptures. And so we should want every law to be in line with that. We can't just kind of have this, uh, I mean, I don't, this, uh, politic, the, I mean, some people probably think I'm too political. Um, when it comes to you know what I preach or when we talk about this kind of stuff in Bible study, um, but everything is theological. I mean, and I I, you, I keep going back to this. This is God's creation, um, and the right hand kingdom and the left hand kingdom both belong to God. And if I have God's revealed word, I have to confess it, both in the private square, in the church, and in the public square. And uh, we can't be shy about about teaching the truth and about what the truth is um and we like and it's it's not because like i just love politics or something um and in fact i don't i mean i would i would probably enjoy life more if i was like amish and just (laughs) you know lived on the farm but uh the god sends Jesus Christ to inaugurate his kingdom and says, you know, live by the kingdom of God and expand the kingdom, right? Uh, spread the kingdom. Te- teach everything that I've commanded you to all nations. And so, um, unfortunately, I don't have the luxury 
to uh, be like, well, that's a political issue. Can't touch it. Right? If God's word says something about it, I want people to live according to it. And what I was going to say is that it's not a matter of me loving politics. It's it's a matter of me uh, loving people because I don't want people to go to hell. <laughs> I want people to uh, hear God's word and live according to it. And uh, if people can, even if they're unbelievers, if people can uh, live a moral life, they're closer. Don't take this the wrong way. They're they're closer to the kingdom of God than they were before. Now, that doesn't mean that an unbeliever is going to go to heaven just because they live a moral life. That's not what I'm saying. But they are in a position to hear the gospel that they could come to faith uh, in a better way, right? Um, because living an outwardly debaucherous life will be a roadblock to someone hearing the gospel, right? Um, because they'll say, well, you, you, your teaching is directly against what I stand for, right? So, uh, and, and they, they, will, they will be turned off from the church. But if someone lives a moral life uh, and is open to hearing then the gospel, they're not, they're not turned off from it anyway. Uh, if that, does that make sense? So, I can't remember how I got there. But uh, the point is, yes, the right to privacy, um, the state still has a moral obligation to protect people uh, both from their sin and other people's sin, um, which obviously the left-hand kingdom would not frame as sin. It would frame it as you know immorality or unjust things, but that's the idea. All right. Uh, so, should the state regulate marriage? Well, yes. The state has an inherent interest in marriage and the ability to enforce natural law. Ideally, there should even be incentives, such as tax benefits, for the promotion of good marriages, along with punishments for those who seek to destroy marriage. So notice there that that's the promotion of peace and punishment of wickedness. Right? We want to promote moral, good, peaceful things, the way that people should live, and we want to punish uh, the, the, those who are wicked. Um, yeah? In some states, if, there's, if the divorce is because of adultery, you can bring that adulterer to court, mm -hmm. and that, mm -hmm. that person can be charged monetarily. Yeah. That's right. So this is actually biblical because uh, the, the idea of a dowry or a bride price, um, which is outlined... Um, either at the end of Numbers or the beginning of Deuteronomy. I can't remember. Uh, the idea of a dowry or a bride price is basically that there's money invested in the marriage. And depending on like, if the marriage were to end, obviously if the marriage is faithful and good, then the couple enjoys the, the money. Um, if the marriage ends, then depending on how it ends, so say the guy is adulterous and abandons his wife, then she gets the money, right? If the other way around, then he gets the money. If, uh, well, there, there's different rules for different things that can happen, right? So yeah, that, that, that is actually uh, kind of a biblical idea that there are monetary um, and, what's the word, tangible, Things connected to the marriage to ensure its uh, 
it's goodness, right? And um, and this is regulated on a kind of on a state level, right? These were the um, in the Bible, those were the civil laws for the people of Israel. Those were the state laws, if you will, like the penal code for the people of Israel, how they were supposed to handle marriage. Um, so that's a good that's a great point. Um, and uh, the so I said ideally, like there should be tax benefits and things uh, for um, marriage, which is kind of true today. There are, I mean, I think I get better benefits married filing jointly than I, I, I don't actually know. Like tax code is, you know, really confusing. But um, my understanding is that unfortunately you get the most incentives today basically if you're not married but you do have children, <laughs> which is kind of the worst thing that you could have, right? Because you should get benefits for being married and having children or um, if you're not married for not having children. But instead, uh, it's the, the like worst combination that it's encouraging basically, you know, adulterous behavior. So um, that's that's kind of the worst. Yeah. There's Take you if you want to go to have a sterilization. Thirteen. Huh. I wonder why. Work with a lady who was not married and had her thirteenth, and they came and asked, and she said no. I mean, if you haven't convinced them at that point, I don't imagine. Uh, I don't know why that would be. I mean, is that because they don't want to pay out the the child tax credit? That's probably what I it is. Like in 1960, yeah. 1960, 1970, uh, yeah. I mean. Yeah. Anyhow, well, that's funny. Um, well, I can't. <laughs> just wait till they ask me. You know, uh, <laughs> all right. If if God wills. No, you, you have to not be married. Okay. Oh, if you okay. if you're not you're married. married. Okay, that makes sense. They'll come in. Well, okay. I see. All right. Uh, okay. Well, then, what about the church then? Okay. So, what is the the? Um, so we kind of covered that. Yeah, the church, the state, does have this interest in marriage. Uh, well, what what about the church then? Um, the church also has an inherent interest in marriage, as biblical marriages and families likewise benefit the congregation. So, in the same way that marriages are going to benefit society, they're also going to benefit the a wholesome and and live and a living congregation. Ad- additionally, Christians know best what marriage is and how it can involve sin. Uh, thus, it is good and right for the marriage ceremony to be performed as a church rite filled with God's word and blessing, um, and to witness the truth of marriage, as opposed to it becoming a self-serving event. So, a lot a, a lot of things here. One, um, so. If I uh, ever get the chance to uh, marry someone, which I, I assume it'll probably happen in my career sometime, but um, uh, there's no – I don't got any couples right now looking to get married. Um, I'm, I'm trying to, to marry off my, my sister-in-law who's been staying with us this month, but um, <laughs> haven't, haven't found a, a you know, perfect match yet. Um, but if, if I do get to marry someone, uh, and this is very – kind of common, I'm sure a lot of you went through it, that uh, your your pastor will require you to do some kind of premarital catechesis. 
or pre- premarital counseling um, that we would go through. And I had to, in seminary, I had to make a curriculum for premarital counseling. So I kind of, the idea was that we'd have that ready to go when we went out into the parish. And the idea is that as those who have God's word in the right-hand kingdom, we can teach uh, the goodness of marriage and how to, to live a married life um, under, under God's word and what a Christian marriage should look like. Um, so there's, there's that aspect. It's good and right for things like the marriage ceremony to be done in a Christian way, which would involve premarital counseling and then involve, you know, a Christian ceremony with a sermon probably and these, you know, Christian wedding vows. And that because we recognize we're not just making a a contract before men, but we're also making a covenant with God um, and we're vowing these things before God, that it would be done, you know, in God's house. Uh, so that makes sense. And then again, like we were talking about earlier, that's really good for Christians too, that it doesn't become, uh, this big self-serving, you know, event where it's all kind of about the show of it all. But instead this is, uh, kind of a humble recognition of entering into this estate that God has created. Um, so, so I, I, yeah, all of that. And to witness the truth of marriage, uh, to the world that um, it is a witness when Christians get married in a a Christian fashion uh, that what marriage is, what it's for, so on and so forth. All right. Um, the the church will also deal with marriage issues in the Christian congregation with the application of law and gospel and confession and absolution when appropriate, uh, whereas Christians recognize the authority of God's words on such matters. So. This is the again the right hand left hand kingdom thing where unbelievers aren't going to recognize God's word as an authority right but believers so when when believers have issues in marriage right um, when when they're having you know structural marriage issues say you know with the uh, the husband's not acting like the head he should and the wife or the wife's not submitting like she should or some of both or whatever it is. Um, that they can go to the pastor or even you know the the faithful brethren in the congregation, the the other fellow believers, and um, and they can read God's word and they can receive counsel and correction based on God's law and His gospel, right? Um, based on confession, absolution, confessing their sins, receiving absolution for their sins within marriage. And these things can be corrected, and the marriage can be reconciled, and um, things can be improved well, right? And I feel I feel so bad for unbelievers who go through marital problems and they don't have that, right? That they have to go to some secular counselor, hope, hoping that that counselor um, understands something about natural law and what the problems might be. But I got to tell you, I, I mean, I think I told you all this story that um, I knew someone who was literally counseled by a secular counsel, counselor to get divorced for the sake of the children, which is insane, right? That, that's not uh, – that's terrible counsel. And um, – oh, man, when I was at this conference in Wisconsin uh, this last week or – I don't know. It's all blur. Um, I guess that was the week before, wasn't it? 
Uh, today's what, Wednesday? Yeah. Yeah, last week. Um, when I was up there, that there were, we were, t- there was a presentation that touched a little bit on this, you know, psych- all the psychology going on today. And the, the pastor presenting made this point that um, when it, it's completely wrong of pastors to be afraid to talk about, you know, mental health things or psychological things because, uh, oh, well, I'm not a counselor, right? I'm not a licensed counselor. Well, Jesus is called the wonderful counselor. The Holy Spirit is called the counselor in the Bible. So um, if I don't have the authority to can- counsel people, According to God's word, then I, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. So that's right. No, no, I'm serious. But several pastors, if they're going to counsel, have to go get insurance like doctors do. Malpractice insurance. Oh, malpractice insurance. Uh, I've never thought of that. Maybe it's not a bad idea. I don't know. Um, I mean, I guess I'm. I mean, you could call me naive, but I'm. I'm actually confident that. God's word helps people with their problems. So, um, and there, I mean, there are things obviously where you would work with um, other kind of medical help depending on the situation. But um, you know, I'm not a I'm not a medical doctor. But but there are a lot of things that I think we've kind of tried to make the strict separation between uh, you know psychological problems and spiritual problems. But that that distinction does not exist in Scripture. That there's a difference between someone's mind and someone's soul. The 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 word uh, soul is suke, right? Which is psychology. Um, their psyche. So anyway, that's a that's kind of beside the point. But um, yeah, I feel bad for for secular uh, for unbelievers who go to secular councils for marriage counseling because it normally sucks. Um, that, I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's good marriage counselors out there, but uh, I don't – I mean, I don't know. Most people – most unbelievers who end up in marriage counseling just get divorced, I think. So um, I don't have stats on that, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. Okay. Uh, yeah, thus – so thus both the state and the church regulate marriage. For unbelievers, only the state does, but for believers, both the state and the church have authority in their marriage. What if the state is wicked? And this is kind of the final thing that we open talking about this with. Uh, what if the state is wicked and ask the church to perform wicked marriages? So that would be the case of what if the state comes in and says, hey, you got to marry the gays uh, because you know we're the state and we say so. Um, then the church must obey God rather than man and practice civil disobedience, which um, we covered all the reasons for civil disobedience in when we did church and state, uh, if the state allows for uh, murder, this so this is uh, an analogy. If the state allows for more murder, as it has with abortion, uh, that does not make it permissible in the church, right? Just because the state says something is legal doesn't make it permissible in the church. And this is a mistake that people will make with things that we need to be careful of. Uh, that just because the state suddenly says something is legal doesn't make it right. And one thing that I've thought about. Uh, a, I shouldn't say a lot, but that I've thought about is what does what should the church say about marijuana? Because um, it's obviously becoming more and more legal all throughout uh, the country. And you know, probably 10 years ago, I think every church 
and America that called itself Christian would probably frown on the use of marijuana, right? And probably call it sinful uh, because, well, it's for one, it was breaking the law, and 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 two, um, you know, mind-altering medica- medication, mind-altering uh, pharmaceutical uh, things. Uh, well, there's there's actually a word in the Bible, uh, pharmacia, which is a sin. It's, uh, means sorcery um there are definitely some biblical warrants to be weary of of things and uh so all of a sudden if marijuana becomes legal is it is it still sinful and that's a question i don't i mean i don't know and i don't i honestly don't know like enough about marijuana to to make that judgment right now i mean i think my initial reaction is like why would you it's probably a bad idea um and well and Really, I think more than sorcery and pharmacia, the other biblical sin that this would fall under is drunkenness. That if you lose ability to control yourself, you are drunk and uh, so, and lack of self-control. So um, anyway, but I think a lot of Christians now, I've heard a lot of Christians, people who call themselves Christians, say, oh, well, if it's legal, it doesn't matter. It's all permissible, right? Well, that's... That's not really the way that Christians should approach sin. Is just like whatever the state says is legal is fine. Uh, that's that's just not the way we should approach these things. Okay, so um, just just because something's legal doesn't make it permissible. It also does not give the church permission to uh, then, and this is our other problem, to ignore the left hand kingdom and say, um, oh well, it doesn't matter. That's just the unbelievers. No, it's the left hand kingdom is also God's kingdom, and Paul, you know, Paul in Romans 13, submit to your authorities because God instituted this, right? God instituted government for your good. And so um, it is good, and we need to recognize the state um, as a fundamental good. If the state is wicked, we should disobey that wickedness, but we should instead urge the state to repent and hold to natural law. Right, and again, this is the the thing. Like, I can't be Amish. Um, as a Christian in society, my my job is to inform the state that look, you're ignoring what's in God's natural law. And um, I mean, I happen to know what's in God's written word. Um, but if even if you're not going to accept that, you know, we can at least encourage and exhort um, the state. So, and and uh, like. Again, it's interesting to me that Christians fought really hard on abortion to overturn Roe v. Wade for decades. I wish I saw the same kind of urgency to like overturn Obergefell um, as I saw for that because I don't really see the moral difference. Um, I, like Obviously, there's a sense in which the direct murdering of children is more heinous. But as far as like how we should approach these things, I don't know why we don't also have. Um, and I, I part of it's like an image thing. Like they, you know, people don't want to be called Westboro Baptist, which I get. I mean, that's like that's a bad image, um, and I'm not advocating that. But I I am saying that we should fight for morality in our country, like in in our the place that we live. Um, so anyway, I'll kind of leave it at that. But. Uh, any final questions, comments, thoughts, concerns, quandaries? Um, 
just going to ask you about Obergefell. Mm-hmm. Was that the? That's the that's the Supreme Court decision that made uh, gay marriage legal in all 50 states. Right. You you could add people who were not related to you to your health insurance. Mm-hmm. Pay for it, but and so that was their big thing was they were denied. Uh, Billy went into the hospital and Don was not allowed to go see Billy because he was his family. Right. And that was their big thing about why they went ahead and got married was Billy. It's constantly been going back into the hospital, so I've gone. Now yeah. that they're married, can... Right, and I would say, uh, like, on the one hand, you you obviously, like, are going to feel for people who are hurting. Um, and, and, like, when people, you know, uh, aren't able to, you know, see someone that they care for uh, or something like that. But... Uh, we should try and be objective about these things and not run them off of emotions. And first of all, that the law about the insurance in that in that case is actually good because it's a um, what's the opposite of incentive? A deterrent. Deterrent. Thank you. A deterrent to uh, acting out on um, sinful sexual desires. Right. That. Actually, maybe like we should rethink this whole thing and not uh, be, you know, uh, homosexual partners. Um, so in that in that sense, it's good. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's what I'd say about that is that uh, there, and under God's word, there, um, like we do care for them as people, right? And we we. We do love our enemies. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. But under God's word, they're not married, and so they don't get the benefit. They shouldn't have the benefits of marriage. So uh, that that is simply what it is. Any other questions, comments? All right. Uh, let's end with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for giving us uh, your creation to steward, and we pray that you would help us to live according to what you have built into creation to be for our good. Uh, We pray that you would turn the hearts of all who doubt your word and who seek to live contrary uh, to your design. We pray that we would have peace where we live and that we would have free course to spread your gospel, and the kingdom of your Son. We pray this through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.